Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. My podcasts often deal with distressing situations which are not suitable for children and some adults for that matter. Some of what I discuss may trigger uncomfortable emotions. If that does occur, please reach out to Lifeline Beyond Blue or any other support service or person you feel comfortable with. Please keep in mind that there's always two sides, sometimes more, to every story. My guests provide their recollection of an event or incident, sharing their thoughts and their emotions, but it's theirs. Not everybody will agree with them. I never want to tell any guest what to say or what not to say, so there will always be others that see it differently and I understand that. Hello, I'm Narelle Fraser. I was a cop with Victoria Police for 27 years, 15 of those as a detective, having dealt with all types of crime, from a stolen bicycle to a stolen life. I witnessed the effect crime has on those involved and became one of those victims myself in 2012 when I was diagnosed with PTSD. However, out of adversity comes other opportunities like this, my own podcast. I'm still pinching myself. Thanks for listening and coming with me as we explore the human side and impact of crime. You are trying to use drugs to self-medicate. There's no amount of drugs that you can use, believe me, I've tried, that are going to resolve your mental issues. They will only ever make them worse. I want to start this year with probably one of the most important messages that I can give to anyone out there who drives or is a passenger on our roads or even learning to drive on our roads. You all need to sit down and listen to my next guest, a young man who's just been paroled from prison for driving a car whilst affected by drugs and alcohol. I spoke with Jane Jones back in the middle of last year and the response we got was overwhelming to say the least. Jane's son, Zach, was serving a sentence of four years and nine months and nearing the end of his non-parole period of two and a half years. Zach was jailed for crashing his car while suspended, stoned, drunk and speeding. 
Zach, who was 21 years old at the time, had four passengers who all received serious injuries, but as I said in my intro back then, they were fortunate to live, unlike many others. Zach was given a chance to redeem himself and to try and right some of the wrongs that he readily admits he did, but I'm pretty sure the pain and distress he caused, his heartbroken mum, is front and centre of that redemption. Zach's time in jail has changed him, and I know it's for the better, but he's still got a bit of a hill to climb. He doesn't shy away from his troubled past, but he can't anyway. As a continual reminder of that is the ankle bracelets that he's required to wear 24-7 for an initial period of around six months. I want to talk to Zach today about his fall from grace, how we can all learn a little of why he did what he did and the dangers of getting involved in the drug scene. It isn't cool. It's not good fun. It is a road to grief, trauma, helplessness and loss of just about everything. Love, self-respect, respect from others, respect of others, trust, it just goes on. Except for your drug-dealing and drug-taking friends. They will stick by you because you can be a conduit to the drugs that they need. Zach used his time in jail to learn how to cook, to work on his love of music, writing songs, helping his mum in writing their book, Why the Fallen, and working on what was a scrawny, thin, lifeless body to what I'm told is an unrecognisable fit and toned body. With his mum, Jane, he's also written a book which bears all that he's done and the valuable life lessons he's learned. And Zach will update us on this later on. Zach appears to be mindful of the fact that he's been given a second chance. He's secured a job which he loves. He's got the unwavering support of his mum and her partner, Jeff. He's beginning to integrate back into society and appreciate the open spaces he can now walk in, run along and share with the community which he was locked away from. He's been referred to as, quote, a beacon of reform, unquote, and no, not from his mum. Uh, So let's have a chat to Zach. And you really can't win, can you, Zach? (laughs) You're out on parole, but now... I believe you're in isolation. So welcome, Zach. Yeah, so I am. I've uh, I've actually just tested positive to to COVID nineteen. So I have I have had to isolate at home uh, this week. Um, But you know, I've I've done a little bit of time in isolation um, in a few different ways. So this is a lot nicer than that. (laughs) I shouldn't even laugh, but I bet it is. I bet you'd rather do isolation at home than in jail. But anyway, look. Um, thanks again, Zach. I don't think that we can start today off uh, without first acknowledging the fact that we've got the go-ahead from your parole officer and the parole board to do today's podcast. And and I suppose I'd, I feel I would love to thank them because your story is such an important one. But it, it wasn't actually a tick of approval from them, was it? They had some concerns. Um, can you tell us about that? Yeah, so I think the, the parole board likes to know everything that I'm doing. Um, and my... My parole worker asked that I keep her in the loop about everything. And so when I mentioned to her that I had been given the opportunity to do this podcast, 
she wanted to run it by the, the parole board first. And they came back and said, we're not going to stop Zach. You know, he has freedom of speech and, you know, he, it's his story and he can talk about it. Uh, but they were, uh, they did want to be quite clear that uh, they didn't really support what I was doing, um, but it's my choice. And so they're not going to stop me from doing it because they are worried um, about, you know, negativity that I'll face as a result of doing this, um, you know, from, from the public. And and I, in, in my mind, I suppose that there would be, um, you know, people in jail that, that won't appreciate that I'm, that I'm doing a podcast. They'll take it the wrong way. Um, but that is... That, that just is what it is. You know, you can't please everybody. So, so Zach, what is the negativity? What do you think the negativity would be from doing a podcast like this? Is it from the, uh, the fact that you're talking to a policewoman or is it on your mental health? Like what, what is that negativity they're concerned about? Yeah, look, I, I think that there's uh – uh, there's certainly a stigma um, around around talking to a police officer. You know, like what I'm what I'm doing isn't getting anybody in trouble. You know, I'm trying to do good. I'm trying to take the the mistakes that I've made and and, and do good in the world. But you know, of course, there, there, there's people that will still choose to see it as a bad thing uh, because you know there are people that don't want to that don't want to change and that and that don't like reflecting on the bad things that they've done in life and uh, and. Uh, you know, I, I I just disagree with that. I have to take what I've done, and I have to I have to make some good come out of it, and that that outweighs any negativity they'll receive as a result. And I suppose we're all mature enough to realise that not everybody is going to take what you say. Uh, oh, I wouldn't say seriously, but the fact that you have got in a car and affected as you were, there are people out there that are going to be unforgiving. And I suppose we have to accept that, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, what I, what I, I, I did, I did a horrible thing and, you know, it's without a doubt the worst mistake that I've ever made in my life. I'm very, very lucky to be alive. And, and I understand that, you know, some people, won't want to won't want to hear from me and they will see me as as a bad person and 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 things like that uh but i think at the end of the day all i can do is try and and do the right thing and spread a positive message yeah and i think you're doing that zach and i do think that it's very brave what you're doing but uh, anyway let's move on and tell me how why and when did you get involved in drugs uh, so I think when I was in year seven, I, I started si- stealing cigarettes, um, you know, from adults around me. Uh, and I think I, to some degree, I'd always had some kind of fascination, uh, with drugs and alcohol, just from what I'd saw on, on TV and, and things like that. Uh, but it wasn't until I was about, uh, 16, 15 or 16, that I, that I smoked marijuana for the first time. And I think I was a really, really hyperactive child. Um, I've never been formally diagnosed with ADHD or anything like that, but anybody who knows me will tell you that I'm, I probably would if I was to take a test. Um, and so, you know, being an incredibly hyperactive and, and, and somewhat neurotic 
kid, I I found it really difficult to to chill out and settle down and, and kind of calm my thoughts down. And uh, my understanding of weed was that it would, you know, it would help chill me out. And so I I actively sought out, you know, um, someone who could who could provide me with with that. Um, and you know, when I first smoked weed for the first time, it did exactly what I thought or what I've been told it would. And, you know, uh, my, my racing mind was, was slowed down and, and it, it was, um, it was interesting because I didn't have to, I didn't have to try and calm myself down. I didn't have to make an active effort to relax. It just, it did it for me. Um, but little did I know it was really just, um, you know, dumbing me down. Um, but you know, as, as a teenager, I thought, Oh, awesome. It's a quick fix. It's, it's awesome. And so, I, I just, I became fascinated with, with drug use, but, um, I think I, I always pushed it to the nth degree with everything. I didn't, I never practiced moderation or anything like that. Um, you know, I was really quite, uh, um, what's the word? Look, I I think I, I never really had any regard for, yeah, moderation or, or, or being reasonable with it. So, um, and then, you know, when, when I started drinking and, and stuff like that in my, in my friendship group, you know, again, we, we didn't drink a couple of drinks. We drank with the intention of, of getting drunk, you know, and, um, and getting as, as drunk as possible and, and getting messy. And, and it's, that's a pretty common, uh, common ideology, I guess you'd say with the culture of drinking, among young people in Australia is, you know, you drink and you get wasted. And so that was, that was just what we did. So, you know, I, I did, I started, I started doing drugs and drinking really around 15, 16. Um, you know, I'd skip school and I'd go hang out at the station with, um, other kids like me who were, who were misfits in school and who didn't really fit in. And, and yeah, you know, and I, and I'd skip school and I'd, and I'd go and drink and I'd hang out at stations and, and, you know, we'd go drink at the park or smoke weed and stuff like that. And I think that's where it all really started. It started as a somewhat harmless catharsis because I was really, uh, I was really out of place in school and I was dealing with a lot of strong emotions that I didn't really have the capacity to deal, to deal with at the time. Hmm. You, you know, it it's hard, isn't it? Because when we spoke to your mum, like your mum, Jane, talked about, giving you, well, from a parent's point of view, everything that she possibly could. And so I'm wondering what would be your advice to, say, a 15-year-old now who's out there feeling like you were at that time, but what what do you advise rather than going down the path that you went down with uh, weed and with alcohol? Look, my advice would be to find something you're passionate about, and and for me that was always music. Um, you know, if I had have maybe got into a gym when I was younger, that would have that would have helped as well because gym has really been a salvation for me. But I mean, the thing is, my passion was always music, but you know, I was I was bullied really badly in school, and and unfortunately, that bullying really uh, really stuck with me, and so. You know, I went, I went to a couple of boarding schools and it, 
and at both those boarding schools. See, when I went to a normal school, people would pick on me for music and stuff like that. That's fine because, you know, I'd go home at the end of the day or I wouldn't be around the 24-7. But when I went to boarding school, I was stuck with my bullies 24-7. You know, I'd, I'd eat breakfast with them. Uh, I'd finish school and I'd go home and they'd be there. And so it was it was inescapable. And I, I liken that a lot to what social media is like for kids these days. They can't escape their bullies. They're always around them. Uh, and so, you know, when any time I pick up a guitar or I'd start singing, people would call me gay or a faggot or, or all these really horrible things to some degree, um, you know, having crocodile skin or, you know, treating it like water off a duck's back doesn't really work because, you know, there's a constant stream of, of abuse coming in. It and still so, hurts, yeah. doesn't it? So yeah. I lost, I lost touch with, with my passion. And I think when I did that, I really lost, um, you know, what, what I poured my emotion into and, and, and it was my emotional outlet. And so what I lost in music, I, I found in substance abuse. So what, what, It's easy for us to say now because, you know, we're years down the track, we're mature a lot. And, and let's say from 21, when you went inside to now, your maturity is obviously uh, grown. But, and now we would probably say, talk to somebody, but at that age of 15, I imagine the last thing that you would think about doing was talking to someone because I suppose you didn't know sort of what was wrong or did you? Well, I mean, and you know, that's, that's a really good point. I mean, and that's the thing. It's, it's, it's well known that I was, you know, I was, I was very privileged and I did come from a very, very loving home. And so all of these, you know, strong emotions that I was having and all these mental issues I was having, I downplayed in my own head because I, I would say to myself, you know, I do, I can't, I'm, I'm a very lucky child. I don't have anything to complain about. And so I did, I would downplay my own uh, mental health problems as to, you know, you've, you don't really have anything to complain about, Zach. Uh, and I think, and I think that was a, a mistake on my part. Well, it's easy to say now, but a mistake at 15, when I think back, and I think if we all look back to when we were 15, we make a lot of mistakes and we think so differently. But I suppose one of the messages we're trying to get across today, isn't it, is that you aren't alone when you have these issues. There are people there to help you. And if you don't uh, maybe use other people or talk to somebody, you could go down that track that you've been and I think you'd be the first person to say, don't ever go down that track. Absolutely. And I'm not here to tell people don't do drugs and don't drink. That's not what my message is about. But what I really can and what what I can't stress enough is that if you are trying to use drugs to to self-medicate or any, any other reason than just a slight recreation. There's no amount of drugs that you can use. Believe me, I've tried that are going to resolve your mental issues. They will only ever make them worse. And I think that's, that's one of my really important messages is is you can't ever use drugs or alcohol to resolve issues. Hmm. And, you know, I think another really interesting point you make there is the damage that bullying does. And now I believe, I should do my homework, but now I believe that bullying is actually an offence. And I know that through bullying, there's been a number of young people who have uh, ended their lives rather than face their bullies at, at work or at school or wherever. So 
it just shows the damage that bullying does to people because, yeah, yeah. yeah. I um, There were several times in school, you know, when I was in uh, year seven and eight, uh, on the bus home from school, there used to be these year 12 kids that used to just terrorize me. And, and I actually did. I went to the teachers one day and I said, look, I'm being bullied. And, and they sat me down in front of these two kids that were bullying me. And I was in year seven. So I was a little kid and these two big year 12 kids, they were sat in front of me. And, and the teacher actually said to me, Zach, I really think you believe you've been bullied, but these guys are just mucking around with you and they're just having fun. And and I'll never forget the look on their face because, and, and that's the thing. And then I got terrorized on the way home that night, you know? And so it was, you know, bullying is something that's been grossly um, downplayed. And I, I totally agree that it, that it should be a criminal offense because it is, it, it, it's horrible. And the effect it has is really serious. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, Zach, did you know that you were in a helpless hole or you just didn't care? Ah, that's a really good question. Look, I, you know, in my early teens, it was all just fun and games, you know, and I I say in my book that consequences were inconsequential because, you know, I'd, you know, I'd steal from shops or I'd, you know, I'd commit little crimes and stuff like that. And as a juvenile, um, you know, if I got caught by the police, it would be a slap on the wrist or a good behavior bond and I'd be on my way. Um, And there'd be no real real consequence to any of the things that I was doing. And, and it was the same with my, with my drug abuse, you know, like, you know, I'd skip school. So I'd, you know, I'd have a detention or whatever, but I wouldn't go to that anyway. So, um, I, it was all just harmless. And then when I was, you know, I started getting older, um, you know, and I'd, I'd lost jobs because of, because of my drug abuse and, you know, either I wouldn't turn up to work or I'd turn up to work high or, or something like that. And I'd lose my job. Uh, you know, I could, I could see that if I was honest with myself, it was because of my drug use. Um, but it, it, before you know it, it gets to a point where you can watch yourself destroying your life and you can watch yourself making these bad decisions. But I don't know if it's, you don't want to, or you can't, uh, you can't stop yourself. And, you know, it's before you know it, drugs really do get there their teeth into you. And so I do remember, you know, you'd think I'll, I'll jump forward to just after my crash, right? You'd think that almost dying and almost killing four people would really be a catalyst for change in, in your life. But mm-hmm. for me, after my crash, I was so guilt stricken and overcome with shame. My drug abuse spiraled out of control drastically after that. And and it got to a point where I, you know, I was I was using uh, methamphetamine ice and, and I'd, I'd, I'd want to get off it and I didn't want to be on it anymore because I knew where it had, had, had brought me, but I, I couldn't at, at that point get off it because it was, I was just a mess without it. And I was that addicted to it that, um, my emotional state would just spiral out of control when I wasn't on it. Um, because I had all these pent up emotions and feelings that I, that I had, didn't have the capacity to deal with. Um, so yeah, I, I, I did know I was in a helpless hole, but I, there wasn't anything I could do to get out of it at that point. I didn't have the strength to do it. So if, not if, sorry, you, you're talking there about you had a pretty bad drug habit. Mm. So where were you getting the money from if you didn't have a job? So look, I, you know, I, I had a few, at that point, 
uh, you know, when I was 18 onwards, I'd, I'd always managed to maintain employment one way or another. Um, but, you know, even if you've got a good paying job, when you're spending all of your money on drugs and stuff like that, you end up, you end up needing more money. And so, you know, there were times where I would commit crimes to, to make money, um, to, to pay for drugs, you know, whether, um, whether it was selling stolen goods or anything like that, like it, it would just, you know, and you'd know it's bad, but you, you rationalize and you justify it in your own mind. Yeah. You do anything to get that next hit, which is, you know, terrible, isn't it? It is. Uh, hello, guess who? Me again. Hey, excuse the interruption, but it's a very important interruption. We've decided to put on a show for you, my listeners, who've hung in there and waited and waited, as we have, to get this thing up and running. The show is called The Groomer, and it's about an investigation that I was part of which centred around the distorted world of a pedophile. It's pretty raw, but educational, where I also talk about online grooming with a special guest and the damage that online grooming, or grooming in general, causes to all those involved. So please come and join me on Saturday, the 19th of March, 2022, at the Village Roadshow Theatre at the State Library, 179 La Trobe Street in Melbourne, 7 p.m. start goes till about 9. The tickets are through Eventbrite. Uh, COVID rules will apply and you know the go. Masks, no kissing, no hugging, no smooches, no holding hands, no personal displays of affection. And that's just for me. <laughs> Hope to see you there. Bye. So, so Zach, you just mentioned then about the crash. Can we go to the crash, the night of the crash, and how that changed your life? Can you t- take us through it? Yeah, look, absolutely. I think it was as scary and as and as bad as it is to say. I think it was always going to happen. Looking back, um, there was, you know, I was in my little friendship, and I use the term friendship loosely, um, but in in the group of people that I was I was hanging out with. Um, I was renting my own house and, um, you know, so people were coming over every weekend and, you know, not even every weekend, they were coming over a couple times a week. Um, and we would just, just get wasted. Uh, and I was the only one who had a car and a license. And so, you know, quite often I would, I would be driving to buy more alcohol or driving around with my friends. Um, and we used to joke and say I was the designated drunk driver. Um, and it was always like a harmless little little joke, as as mm. as bad as it is to say. So, um, and yeah, the the group of people that I was with, they 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 didn't discourage it, and I'm not I'm not blaming anybody else for what I did because my choices were my own. But um, you know, there was never anyone who said, "Hey, Zach, you're being a dickhead. Like, you know, you shouldn't be doing what you're doing." There was never anybody who did that, and so that night. Uh, on the 9th of December, 2017, I, I had a, it was a Friday and I'd finished work and it was a, it was a pretty crappy day at work. Um, and, and I was on my way home and I got a message from a friend saying, Hey, look, we're going to a comedy show in the city. Um, I've got an extra ticket. Um, if you drive us there, do you, do you want to come? And I said, yeah, yeah, of course. So, uh, my mates came over to my house and I drove them from my house 
um, to the city to go and watch this comedy show. And we all had a, a few drinks while we were there. Um, you know, and. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juvederm.com. And I drove back home. Um, and, and when we got back home, uh, my girlfriend at the time, she was out that night, but her friends used to just come and go as they pleased. And when I got home, they were in the backyard already drinking. Um, and so me and my two male friends, you know, joined them and we were all just drinking and and when I say drinking, we were like sculling alcohol and trying to get as drunk as possible. And we were just being, just being idiots. And so after a few hours of that, um, me and me and my friend who was, who ended up being the passenger in my car crash, um, we were sculling a bottle of vodka, just taking turns sculling as much as possible. And when that bottle finished, he said, uh, Oh, we're out of alcohol now. And, you know, and we'd been smoking weed that night and everything as well. And so, you know, then it was, then the question was posed, oh, should we do a run to the all night bottle shop? And without thinking, you know, my, my keys were in my pocket. I started walking to my car and my mate jumped in the passenger side. And so I, I turned the car on and as I was about to pull out of the driveway, um, my girlfriend's three friends jumped in the back. They wanted to come with us. And, uh, and so that they jumped in and I reversed out of my driveway and actually backed into a car that was parked across the road. 
if that, as if that wasn't enough of a indication that I shouldn't be driving. And all of us laughed. And then I, I pulled out onto the highway and I should mention that, you know, this is, this hasn't even been two minutes since we finished sculling that bottle of vodka. So all that alcohol hadn't even kicked into my system yet. And I was already really drunk. Um, and so, you know, as I, as I started driving, um, all that alcohol just hit me at once. And I, I remember very, very little after that, but, um, the last thing I do remember is my mate was so drunk that he was trying to, he was looking at directions on his phone to how to get where we were going. We'd, we'd driven there a hundred times before, but we had no sense of direction. None of us. So that's, you know, that's how drunk we all were. Mm-hmm. And he, he was too drunk to actually read the directions on his phone. And I looked down at his phone. And when I look back up, I remember just seeing this brick wall in front of me and, and then, and then we crashed. Um, we didn't crash. I crashed. And I, uh, I came to when the car was like on its, on its side, um, or on its roof. I, you know, it was just, it was just mangled. It was such a mess. And I had no idea what was going on. I don't know if it was shock or the alcohol, but I just didn't understand what was going on. Um, and I remember, um, I remember there being voices around the car and I could hear my friend in the seat next to me, but he was kind of rambling. It wasn't making sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, then, then we got sprayed with a fire extinguisher and I, it, it still hadn't really dawned on me that like I'd been in such a bad crash. And, and I remember yelling, why, why are you spraying us with a fire extinguisher? We can't breathe. I remember hearing this voice yell back, mate, your car's on fire. Um, so, I mean, like, thank God he was driving past, but it was just, I only have very small, small glimpses of that night, but I remember, you know, my foot was stuck in the car and, and I didn't know at the time, but my passenger was pinned in the car. Um, Mm. but I remember when I got pulled out, um, I remember seeing one of the girls, she got pulled out at the same time from the back. And and I think that's kind of when it dawned on me that, that I'd really crashed my car. And, you know, I remember seeing in, in ads, you know, um, about anti-drink driving and, you know, like someone's in a crash and then once they've crashed, they're like, Oh, what have I done? What have I done? And I really had that moment of, Oh my God, what have I done? Mm. And, um, and then next thing I know, I was at, I was at hospital and, um, yeah, I've, you know, I had a million questions and not one answer, you know, where, where is everyone? Is everyone all right? And no one could tell me anything. And I just remember being so scared. Um, mm. and it's just so worried. Um, and my face was on fire and, and I didn't know why. And, um, you know, and then, then my mum had rocked up and she, she came and she burst into tears a second. She saw me and, and when that happened, I just felt sick to my stomach and I felt so, so sick. And I don't know how she knew, but she, she knew I was about to throw up and she grabbed a bin and pulled it and opened it right as I just threw up everywhere. Cause as soon as I saw her, I just felt sick. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, so that was, that was the night of the crash and, you know, the doctors saw me the next morning and they couldn't really tell me much more. They said that there, there was one other passenger um, from the crash who was at, at uh, the Royal Melbourne, which was where I was. 
yeah. and and they told me that you know most of my injuries were just superficial scratches on my face and that you know I'd be fine and there was you know they 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 treated me nicely but you could tell that you know they really they really didn't like me because they'd probably have to deal with you know drink drivers every week and it, they must just be so sick of seeing it so I, I could I could really feel that resentment I think is the right word for it um which I understood and I just I was so guilty and so ashamed I didn't want to look at anybody. So I discharged myself from hospital. I went and found the other, the girl who was at the same hospital as me. And, um, you know, I just burst into tears the second I saw her. She had a, she had a back brace on cause she had a, she had a fractured vertebrae um, in her spine and, and she's very lucky that, um, she didn't lose her ability to walk. You know, it was, uh, she, she could have very easily been paralyzed. Um, she isn't, thank God. But yeah, and I just, I just remember crying when I saw her and, you know, and, and she wasn't mad at me, you know, she made the decision to get in the car with me, but it just didn't make me feel any better at all. Um, so, and then, so yeah, I left and, uh, um, I went, I went back home and, you know, I, I mentioned earlier that after that, um, I just, I, I went on a real slippery slope, um, you know, I'd have really bad night terrors. So I'd use ice to try not to sleep as much as possible because sleep was not a pleasant experience. Um, and, and, uh, so yeah, I started, you know, I went, I went back to work and I started working a few different jobs, but, um, I really stopped living at that point and I was just, just getting by every day. Um, just hanging on by a thread, just hanging on by a thread. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, so a few days after I left hospital, all the swelling on my face went down and my, my face was actually full of glass. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't want to go back to hospital. I didn't think I deserved help. And so I would remove all the glass myself with a pair of, a pair of tweezers and a razor blade. Um, and I think it was really looking back, it was probably more self harm than anything else. Um, and I still bear the scars from that on my mm-hmm. face. I can I can hear that. Um, well, why wouldn't it still affect you, Zach? It's um, oh gee, don't know where to go. It's just you are so lucky, uh, fortunate not to have killed anyone else or yourself for that matter. But when did the police get involved? Like they must have been involved that night. But can you tell us about getting interviewed and? Uh, they. I think they, they got in contact with my mum and they said, look, we need, we need to chat to Zach about this. Um, and so I, I, gave, I gave them a call um, on Australia Day 2018, so I think the 25th of January or, yeah, something like that, maybe about that. And I, I, I went to Forest Hill Police Station and, um, you know, and they – they looked at me like I was like I was a ghost. They couldn't believe that I was actually standing in front of them. And one of them said to me, "I was I was the first person on the scene, and I I thought there's absolutely no way anybody survived this crash." And he said to me, "The fact when we when we found out everybody had survived, he said I couldn't believe it." He goes, "That's one of the worst crashes I've ever seen." Mm-hmm. Um, and that was how the conversation started. And they interviewed me 
and you know, and I told them everything. Um, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't try and hide or downplay what I'd done. I, I felt so bad and they did, they charged me with, you know, like four counts of negligently causing serious injury and reckless conduct, endangering life and driving under the influence. And I think it was, you know, like 16 charges or 20 charges in total. Um, but they bailed me after that and I was, I was bailed to reappear in court um, at a later date. And so what you're saying is from the moment that you were bailed, naturally, no, going back, it's from when you came home from hospital, that's when you spiralled. If you hadn't spiralled out of control at that point, you certainly were then. But after you'd been um, charged and a court date was set, did that did that even, um, what's that word, um, catapult you into thinking I'd better get myself together or did you just get worse? Well, and that's the thing, you know, when I mentioned, when you asked me, did I know I was in a helpless hole or I just didn't care? I was in a, like, I was in a really deep, dark hole and I, I couldn't, I couldn't get out of it. And, mm. you know, even though I wanted to, even though I wanted to, um, I just, I didn't know how, I mean, drugs had really become my crutch and I couldn't stand up without them. And, and, you know, so rather than try and climb out of that hole, which I, which I couldn't have, you know, I, I, I didn't believe I, I could have, um, yeah. I just, I kind of got comfortable down there. Yeah. And so when the police interviewed you and charged you, did they, did you talk about the fact that you'd probably go inside? Uh, look, I, I asked them and, and I think they, they were very vague with their answers. I, I think if they had, they probably don't want to tell me, yeah, you're probably going to jail, you know, because they, they just given me bail and I don't think they want me to, to try and run or anything, which I wouldn't have, but you know, they, they don't know that I suppose, do they? I don't think they do, but at the same time, you know, one of my mum spoke to one of the police officers at a later date and he actually told my mum, I'm going to do everything I can to, to get your son as much jail time as I can because he deserves it. And, you know, and while that's very harsh, you know, I, I don't disagree and I didn't disagree. So I think I knew I was going to jail. I, I, you know, I didn't, I couldn't fully comprehend that. No one can fully comprehend you're about to go to jail and what you're about to experience. So, and, you know, and I wasn't really in touch with reality at that point, um, just based on my drug usage and my mental state. So like I said, I was just hanging on by a thread really. And I was just taking every day as it came, but I knew, I knew, you know, there was no coming back from it. I suppose you knew that you were going to do some serious time. I did, but I just, you know, really getting your head around that is, is hard. Um, it wasn't until I saw my legal aid representative and he said, get your affairs in order because you are going to jail. Uh, when, when he said that to me, um, it was really, you know, the penny really dropped. Mm. Tell us about going to court and what that was like and, you know, having to stand up and I can't imagine how humiliating, embarrassing <laughs> that that would be. I've been, obviously I've been on the opposite side of that where 
you know, you've charged somebody and they have to stand up and I think to myself, oh, God, I just can't imagine how that must feel. So, I mean, the first court case we went to was was we were applying for what's called a summary jurisdiction application. And so that was going to mean that if it was approved, my case would be heard in the magistrate's court instead of the county court. And we, when we went to court and applied for that, um, the fact that we'd even applied for it, uh, the, the magistrate actually raised his voice and he was actually almost yelling. Um, he was that infuriated um, that we had applied for it because he goes, this is such a serious case and Zach endangered four lives and, and his own. Uh, I don't think that there's any way that, that you can justify to me um, why this should be heard in the magistrate's court and not in the county court. We might just explain here too, Zach, that if something is heard in the magistrate's court, you can't get... Uh, as uh, when you go to the county court, the sentence is almost infinite. You you can get twenty five years, but in a magistrate's court, it's very very different, and it's nowhere near that. So, I can see. I, I think most uh, people could see that you'd be as a magistrate, you'd be angry, thinking exactly what the magistrate said. Yeah, you've you've done this. How uh, oh, what's the word? Yeah, I, I sort of get the magistrate. Do you now, now that you look back, do you get why he absolutely. was angry? I, yeah, I'm sure you I absolutely, And I, you know, and I, I did at that time too. I really did because um, he, he made it very clear what he thought and, and there was just no arguing with him. The, the, the severity of what I'd, I'd done uh, could not be overstated and, hmm. and, uh, and I don't, I don't, think that he was unreasonable at all. Yeah. Were you stoned or uh, off your face at court? I imagine you would be. Well, you know, as, um, as embarrassing it is to say, you know, it was it was my coping mechanism. So, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, look, I, I probably was. Um, mm. But, yeah, I think. Well, that, that was your crutch at the time. You know, that was how you were getting by. So, I mean, I've seen it myself, but. Uh, it's yeah. Anyway, moving on. So let's. So court happens. What about the day you were sentenced? Tell us about that. Well, the thirtieth of May, twenty nineteen, March, April, May. Yeah. So the thirtieth of May, I went to to the county court, and I, I walked into the courtroom with my mum, and I went and set up the front of the courtroom just as I had done any other time I'd been to, to, to court. And my lawyer tapped me on the shoulder and says, no, no, you can't sit here. You have to sit in the dock. And, and I didn't even know what that was. And so I, he pointed to the back of the courtroom and there were, you know, um, two security guards in this little booth area. And so I had to go sit in between them. And, uh, and then from then on, they, they referred to me as the prisoner. And that's when it really hit home that I was, I wasn't leaving that courtroom the same way I came in. And, and so did you think you were, sorry, Zach, to interrupt, but did you think that you were going inside that day? Like, look, I mean, everyone had told me, but there was part of me that was still hoping and praying that, you know, I'd, I'd get that old slap on the wrists. You know what I mean? Uh, And then I'd be scared straight. 
Um, and I, I, I think that was just, just uh, a last last minute hope. That was just the, the very last thread that I was hanging on to because there were a lot of people around me that, you know, that would, that would tell me, oh, don't worry, you won't go to jail for that. No, surely you won't. You didn't kill anybody. You're not going to go to jail. Um, and I don't think, I don't know if that's me not quite illustrating how serious what I'd done was um, or, you know, they just can't, couldn't wrap their head around it. But, yeah, I, I, part of me really didn't think that I was. But so when, when they started referring to me as the prisoner, that's when I was like, oh, wow, yeah, I'm, I'm going to jail. And and so mm. the judge went through all the evidence and, and um, you know, all the court proceedings took place. And the judge said to me, Zach, I'm going to remind you in, in custody for two weeks while I, uh, while I decide what the sentence is that I'm going to hand down. He said, there's a lot of things that I want to take into consideration and I want to think about it. And so that was it. Then I was, I was let out through a back door in the courtroom, um, in handcuffs and, and I, I was put in this elevator and I mean, like it felt like I was descending into hell, um, in this little, little elevator with, with two security guards and, and then I got down into the, the, the holding cells underneath the county court and I was strip searched for the first time. Um, and, and then I was put in a holding cell and, and that was, that was the start of my, that was really the start of my sentence. Zach, would you mind, and tell me if you don't feel comfortable, but would you mind telling the listeners what happened in the strip search? I think we all know, you sort of think, oh, yeah, they had to take all their clothes off and get searched. But a lot of people wouldn't know how you searched. Do you yeah. feel comfortable enough telling us that? Yeah, look, absolutely. So, you know, and I, I write in my book, you know, when when you go to jail, you have to really check the dignity at the door um, because a strip, strip search, it's, um, it's very confronting. So, and, you know, whilst they don't try and make it unpleasant, you know, um, being forced for lack of a better word to, to strip naked in front of two people is, is somewhat degrading or well, not somewhat Absolutely. degrading. It's very degrading. Yep. So yep. they, 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 they take you into a room and they, they either close a curtain or close a door and they ask you to remove your shoes and socks. You hand that to them. You remove your t-shirt, you hand that to them. You remove your shorts, you hand that to them. You remove your underwear and you hand that to them. So now you're completely naked. Uh, and then they ask you to run your fingers through your hair. So you can't cut your, your genitals or anything and, 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 you know, hide it. They ask you to run your fingers through your hair. They ask you to show behind your ears, in your mouth, under your tongue, under your lips. Then they ask you to lift up your ball sack and, and show them underneath. Um, sometimes they'll ask you to, to pull back your foreskin. Then they'll ask you to turn around and lift up each one of your feet. And then they ask you to spread your butt cheeks and then they make sure that there's nothing in your butt. And and then they, they hand you back your clothes and they leave for you to get changed. Wow. Oh my goodness. So how often did you, how often did you have to get searched like that? This is let's say prior to um, your sentence, like during that two weeks. So you get strip searched when you first um, leave the county court. Yeah. So I was, then, yep. I was, I, I was strip searched when I went down into the county court for the first time. And then I was put on a bus to 
the map, which is Melbourne Assessment Prison. And I was strip searched once I got off the bus there before I got to my cell. And then I was strip searched again on my way back to county court. Um, so I think between, between being reminded and being sentenced, I was probably strip searched five times because I was moved from the map after a week to Port Phillip. And then I, I was strip searched when I went to Port Phillip. Um, whenever you do a, a urine test, uh, they strip search you beforehand. And at Port Phillip, you actually, you, you have to be naked to, to do a urine test because it's a maximum security jail. Uh, and so I was strip searched once doing that as well. And then I went back to court and I was sentenced. So all up prior to even being sentenced, I was strip searched five times. Tell us about the first night that you were at MAP. Oh, wow. Where you're, where you're laying in that bed. So I, I, I can't imagine where your mind went. Um, look, I, I spent most of that night crying because at the MAP, it's in the middle of the city. And so you have these really foggy windows with massive bars on them, but you can see the city and you can see the street below. And, and I'd actually walked past the window that I was, that I was sitting at. You know, I, I remember, you know, I, I, I went to school not too far from where the map is and I'd walked past the map before. And I used to remember thinking to myself, God, I'd hate to be in there. And, mm-hmm. and I, all I could think of was, was I, I was walking down that street and I, I remember thinking that and, and now I knew like I, I wasn't getting out of here and, you know, um, it's, it's, it's so ugly in there. Um, the cells are pretty much all concrete. You have a, a little, a little, little TV. Um, you know, it's, it, it, you'd have photo frames bigger than these TVs, um, and a kettle and the shower, uh, just you, you, you click a button and then it, it runs for about two minutes. The water runs for about two minutes and then it shuts off for like three minutes so that you can't flood your cell. Um, so the first time, the first night I tried to have a shower and I clicked the button and, and waited until the water ran hot as you normally would. And I got underneath the shower and, 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 you know, put shampoo in my hair and, you know, um, soaked up and then the water cut out. And so I'm standing in the shower and I can't turn the water back on and I've got shampoo and soap all over my body. And so I had to stand there for three minutes um, until I could turn the, the water back on. And then it was, you know, of course I didn't want to run out of time again. So I just used the water while it was cold. Hmm. And, and yeah, when I say I cried most of that night, I cried most of that night. It was, um, you know, in my eyes, my life was over. Well, That's the end of part one. Not sure if there's going to be two parts or three parts. But believe me, he's caught his match here with uh, young Zach with uh, talking. He's not shy. But you know what I loved about Zach? Well, first of all, all I can say is, wow, what an incredibly honest and humble young man who's really come out of jail a changed man. Uh, Next week, we talk more about his road to redemption, a lot about what it was like in jail and many more of the lessons he's learned. So uh, see you next week and until then, stay safe. Hey, it's Narelle here again. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoy the podcasts as much as we enjoy putting them together. 
But to make sure you never miss an episode of Narelle Fraser Interviews, hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a rating and even a review. And please share it with all your friends too. And again, thanks for joining us. We have got some amazing stories to tell. So thanks again. See ya. Hello, guess who? Just a quick interruption here to let you know you can now become a Narelle Fraser Interviews Patreon. How exciting! Simply go to www.patreon, that's P for Peter, A T R E O N for Narelle.com and search for Narelle Fraser Interviews. And to all of you out there who continue to support me, thank you so much. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.